All right, let's go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. This is speaking of Jesus. Now listen to this incredibly profound statement. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Well, I know we've prayed several times today, but I, I need to pray again and I need you to pray for me. This is... Um, I I have rarely felt more inadequate to speak on a text than I do today. So pray for me as I pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible, for the gathering of your people, for the Holy Spirit that fills this place. For little babies like Walter and children in the other rooms and marriage and singleness and life point groups for people that know who Bambi is and life point groups for young couples that are struggling to find out how to parent or life point groups for people that are uh, in deep debt and need to be in some measure of financial peace. But all these things serve ultimately to glorify Jesus The words that Paul has written for us hundreds of years ago are staggeringly, staggeringly beautiful in what they say about Jesus. I pray that today you would keep me close to the text. I pray that you would, in spite of me, you would open up our hearts with your Holy Spirit and that simply today you would help us see Jesus and that it would draw the husband who is disconnected and it would draw the wife who is desperate. It would draw the person who is caught up in a web of deceit and sin, that it would draw the person who is tired from years of service, that it would draw the skeptic and the agnostic and that it would encourage the Christian and that on a thousand different levels, Lord, that your words, simply your words about yourself would 
stir our hearts and our affections and that our worship would correspond to who you are. And as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, I pray, I know who is sufficient for these things. And I pray that you would make me a man of sincerity, commissioned by God to speak in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first point that I think this verse clearly tells us is that Jesus is Lord. One of the great mysteries of the Bible is the Trinity, our Trinitarian view of God. We believe in one God who is in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this particular passage is talking about Jesus, and it is clearly establishing that Jesus is fully and completely God. Now, this is a mystery which is, on this side of eternity, unexplainable and something that we can't completely wrap our minds around. And if that causes some people doubt, I think it is actually quite encouraging because if we could completely explain the nature and the person and the work of Christ, then he would be explainable, which to me would kind of take you out of the God category. But this verse says in verse 15 that he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is, he is the face, he is the picture of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3 says something really important. We're going to have all these verses up on the screen, and if you're not a quick note taker, we'll have all of this up on the website by tomorrow afternoon along with the audio of this message. But the writer of Hebrews says this, uh, linking in with this thought from Paul about how Jesus is God and he represents fully God. It says, long ago, Hebrews 1, 1, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We just read that, how Jesus is the creator. We're going to get to that in a second. Verse 3, listen to this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's an incredible statement. So what this verse is saying, along with Colossians, is that Jesus is not just kind of a shadow of the Trinity. He's not just sort of a man who came down and is blessed by God and anointed by God to live on this earth and be a perfect man who then dies a perfect death and then rises again over death and sin. But he is, in fact all God, so that when we see Jesus in the scriptures and when people that lived with Jesus saw Jesus, they were seeing God. In fact, Jesus says that very same thing in John chapter 14 and verse 9. He says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, this is a mystery, but in his life here on earth and from eternity past, from the beginning of time to the end of time, Jesus has been, completely is, even when he was on earth, fully and completely God. Jesus is Lord. Now, what are the implications of that? And I think that there are three that, in particular, uh, should encourage us today. The first is that Jesus, being God, helps us realize that God is knowable. He is knowable. Jesus has come. 
And he has represented God. He is no longer a mystery to us. Jesus personifies all that there is. In fact, a little bit later on in Colossians that we read today, it says that in him, meaning Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Colossians chapter 2, it picks up on that same thing that All the fullness of the deity, I mean, everything that is in the Trinity dwells in Jesus. So why is this important? Point number one, I think, is that it means that God is knowable, that God has come to us, that God has condescended, that he has come so that we would know him. Listen to this in John chapter 1, verse verse, uh, 14 through um, 18. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That means the glory of Jesus, the glory of the Trinity. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when you see Jesus, and he's full of grace and truth, you're seeing the Godhead. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Verse 18 is an incredible verse. It like kind of contradicts itself in a way, but it, it says that no one's ever seen God. But now that you're seeing Jesus, who's at the Father's side, who is God, he has made him known. And so God in the form of Jesus, makes himself known to us so that we can know him. And Jesus preaches his gospel. He fills his disciples with his Holy Spirit, gives them the power and the knowledge so that we can know him. Why is this important? And you say, okay, Brad, I got this. I know. I think there are two ways that this works itself out in our culture. The first is, listen to me now. The first is is that some of us grew up or some of us have friends or some of us have been exposed to sort of a super spiritual version of Christianity where there's this sort of underlying message that, yeah, no, Jesus is okay, but if you would just maybe have this gift of the Holy Spirit, then you, you, know, you would kind of be on the inside crowd. Or, yeah, Jesus is okay, but if you would sing these sort of songs, or if you would worship in a building like this, do you see how, do you see how those mistaken views of the fullness of the Godhead can draw people away and actually intimidate them. And all of us have them. All of us have them. I I sort of rail against um, sort of the super spiritual, ultra charismatic side of the church that likes to present some spiritual gift as sort of this special deal. And, and, And as I rail against it, I believe in the fullness of the gifts. Uh, I do, but I don't believe that, that, that when you get one of them, that may be more notable or, or more public that all of a sudden, like you're playing on Friday nights and you got a letterman's jacket and everybody else that doesn't have that plays on Thursday nights. So you can see, here's the point you have to get that when you have Jesus, you have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And look, it, it works itself out in the camp. I am too. I mean, I run with a couple, a bunch of cats that if your bookshelf is not stacked with all the John Piper books, you're like on the JV. Well, I love John Piper, but John Piper in his books does not dwell all the fullness of Christ or whatever your deal is or this mode of baptism or that style of music or this side of town or this type of building. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Is there sanctification to happen? Is there growth that needs to happen in your life? Is there pursuit and earnestness and a desire for more of God that needs to happen in every Christian? Yes, 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 yes. But when you have Christ, 
You have all there is to have. That's, that's something very important. If you're going to give it to me, give it to me. Don't, don't. Here, here's the other way it works this way. This, so, super spirituality. The second way is, and I think this is actually quite more prevalent, is that there's this discouragement amongst most people because church culture has become very sort of inward and sort of super spiritual and religious and has its own lingo that many people, and I find this very prevalent in men in particular, is that they kind of feel like, ah, you know, that's so complex. I couldn't, I couldn't know that. You know, my, Bible run, my wife runs off from Bible study to Bible study, and she seems to know all this stuff. But, you know, I just I want to watch football and work on the car. You know? And I, I understand that. And what happens is, is that there kind of this culture develops where if you don't have sort of this basic sort of understanding, and you're like in the inside with all this lingo, then it's like, ah, oh, that's not knowable. And there is this lie that is in America and in cultural Christianity that is presented especially to young men, who, by the way, are the key to our culture. Young men are. Men. If men get a hold of Christ, everything changes. And so there's this lie, especially to the hearts of men, where they can figure out a combustion engine and do all sorts of complicated things, but the moment you start talking doctrinal truth to them that might be just a little bit deep, they push away because they feel like they can't understand it. Men, that is not true. If you can figure out the wing T offense and, and, and some car and a computer, if you, can, if you can go through all the stuff you need to do to download junk off the internet, you can understand biblical truth. Because Christ has made himself known. Now listen, yeah, it, t- it takes a little bit. You, you don't just figure stuff out. I didn't learn English on January 14th, 1971, which is the day after I was born. It took me a couple years. But you've got to struggle. You've got to go. You've got to learn it. You've got to be around it. But know this, know this, that Christ is noble. Christ is simple. Christ is for everyone. Christ wants to make himself known. And one of the things that we try and do is be deep but yet simple here. So Christ is, God is knowable in the person of Christ. Secondly, I'm going to go through these quickly because the point that I really want to make is that the second is that he is sufficient and supreme. I touched on this earlier when I talked about the special tickets that we try and create in Christianity to have Jesus. He's sufficient. He's supreme. He is over all things. Everything is pointing to him if you have Christ. Christ is not the ticket to a better life. He is better life. He's sufficient and he's supreme. And then thirdly, and we're not going to spend much time on this, although it is glorious because we're going to talk about it next week when we talk about Christ as our reconciler from this passage. He is able to save us. This flows logically, does it not? He's God. He's able to save us. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says that he's able to save to the uttermost. I love that old word, uttermost. He's able to save the worst sinner in this room. He's able to reach down into the darkest soul. He's able because he's God. There's no limitations. Isaiah says that his hand is not too short. His arm is not too short. And his ear is not dull. He is able 
to save us. So that's Jesus is Lord in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And before we move on to Jesus is the creator, I want us to handle that second part of that first sentence because it could potentially kind of be confusing to you, where it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That Greek word for firstborn doesn't really, in the breadth of the New Testament, speak about chronological birth order. In fact, this is one of the errors that was an error back in the 4th century. It was called the Arian Controversy by this man named Arius who began to teach that Jesus was created by God and was, uh, came along later, therefore refuting the vast majority of the rest of the scriptures about Jesus. In fact, all of them talk about how Jesus is eternal. The Trinity has been preexistent from ever to forever. And he began to speak about and diminish the deity of Jesus. And that air finds its way into modern day cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. This verse is not saying that Jesus was born later on. What that word firstborn is used in the breadth of the New Testament means not chronological birth order of, of creation, but it means the rights and the privileges of the firstborn son. So Christ... As this man, God-man, has the rights and privileges over all creation that we'll see in just a second that he created. And if you think about the flow of the logic of this verse, how can he be the created when he created all things? And so this is not saying that God the Father created God the Son. It's saying that God the Son has authority and reign and rule over all creation. That's important. And that is an error that some people make and it sends them headlong into disbelief about the person and work of Jesus. So the first point that we made is that Jesus is Lord. The second point that comes from verse 16, and listen to this first. This is incredible, and this is our last point here. But don't get excited because it's going to take a little while. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Our first point is that Jesus is Lord. The second point is that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. I want you to think about this for a second. Everything that is. I was doing a little research this week, just not much, but just kind of thinking about the solar system and the universe. In fact, there's this video on our website on my blog that talks about the mapping of the known universe. And it is spectacular. I mean, the the Milky Way galaxy is one of just millions and millions and millions of other galaxies. And within our Milky Way galaxy, there are billions and billions and billions of stars. And this is just one little speck on the universe that together is this whole deal. And and then there's just limits of what we can even see. And even unbelieving scientists now believe that the universe is actually infinite. It just goes on forever. And you think about how many like cells are just in the human body. And this verse says that, that all things were created for him. That just thinking about that is a spec spectacular truth that everything was created my life your life the united states of america italy my second favorite country every every kingdom that has ever existed on this earth and every star to the furthest 
reach of human ability to see was created for Christ, for his glory. <laughs> Listen to this quote from a book, on a, a devotional book on the book of Colossians by a man named Sam Storms, who I have a lot of respect for. He is an author and pastor. He pastors a church in Oklahoma City, I believe. And this is what he says about this verse in his book called The Hope of Glory, which is a devotional book about Colossians. He says on this verse, whatever is, is that he might be glorified and praised and enjoyed forever. He, speaking of Jesus, he is the reason, the goal, the aim, the intent, the point, the purpose, the end, the terminus, the consummation and culmination of every molecule that moves to the end of the universe. Does that please you? Do you find unparalleled joy in knowing that it's about him and not you? Do you find delight in knowing that God, listen to this, do you find that delight in knowing that God didn't create the world so that he could have you, but so that you could have him? Everything in this universe, known and unknown, to the edge of infinity and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear would say, exists, exists. For Jesus and his glory to serve his glory. And one little quick point before we move on to what I believe is what I want us to sink our teeth in today is that it is important. Listen to me, young man who's struggling with pornography. Listen to me, young woman who is struggling with acquiescing to some punk kid who wants you to take your clothes off for him before he marries you. Listen to me, husband, who's struggling with flirting with some cute girl who gives you the attention that your wife of seven or eight years may not be giving you right now, probably in response to your sin. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus' glory is not at odds with our joy. In fact, in fact, the true joy of relationships, of sex, of entertainment, of all things, are ours, but can only truly be ours and truly received in eternal joy when they are found in Christ. Listen to what C.S. Lewis, you know C.S. Lewis, great British thinker, writer, said in his book called The Weight of Glory. He said, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics, and there is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. Listen to what he's saying here. Not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. What does this mean in our lives? 
It means, and listen to me, I'm not beating you up because my life was almost ruined. Ruined by sexual temptation. But it means, young man, that God is not opposed to your joy, but he is all for it. And so the the desire that you have for that female form, to see her, to enjoy her, will never quench your thirst outside of God's way, which is marriage. And the joy that he has for you is far better than anything outside of how he has designed it for you. And so our, our desires are too weak. They're too weak. We're far too, we're pleased with, with broken imitations of the thing that he ultimately has for us. But the lie that is propagated in much of cultural Christianity is, is that God is against our joy and we've got to grit our teeth and hold on and be holy until we die. No, there's joy. There's joy. There's joy in God. And so we abuse sex and we have it outside of marriage and we abuse alcohol and instead of being able to righteously enjoy the fruit of the vine we get drunk and we abuse money instead of getting more of it so that we can see God and say thank you and then giving it away we hoard it on ourselves we are far too easily pleased Jesus' glory is not at odds with our joy. And the rest of our lives is figuring that out. I have by no means arrived. But I know that's what the Bible says. And thirdly, and this is an important one. Listen now. Jesus, Jesus is, I want to be careful here, and I want to be very sensitive. Jesus is sovereign over sin and evil. Jesus is sovereign, meaning he rules over providentially. He controls sin and evil. Notice Paul's words in Colossians, back to Colossians 1.16. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, listen to this now. Think, let's get into this verse. For by him all things were created. He just said that Jesus created everything. That, that's everything. everything. And then he lists four things that he wants to sort of point out more specifically that Jesus created. And of all the four things that he wants to get a little bit more specific with, he chooses four things. And it's very telling. He says that he created thrones and dominions, and rulers, and authorities. And that they were all created through him and for him. What are those thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities? Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a clue. Ephesians is written, it's a little bit to the left in your Bible. Just go over to Philippians and then over to Ephesians chapter 6. This is a letter written by Paul, again, to another church. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the context here is certainly spiritual warfare against evil, right? Standing against the devil. Verse 12, listen to this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, that is one of our words, against the authorities, 
there's another one of our words, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul chooses two of the words that he uses in his letter to the Ephesians, the word ruler and authority, that in that context he was thinking about our battle against evil to say that Jesus is sovereign over those two very same things, rulers and authorities, to impress upon the Colossians not just that God is in control of the uttermost galaxy, but he's also control, in control of the devastation and the Roman Empire and the persecution and the evil and the cancer and the difficulty that you are enduring right now. Jesus is sovereign over sin and evil. Now listen to me. I want you to follow my logic on this because this is a mystery that if we try and over-explain, we will get ourselves into trouble. This is a mystery that if we try and fill in philosophically, we will cease to be biblical and will wander into air and can cause great despair. And so listen to me carefully. Listen to the scriptural logic here. This is a difficult but very important truth to see, and then we're going to end on this. The scriptures clearly affirm that Jesus created everything and that he created it good. In fact, very good, Genesis says. It's also very clear in those first couple chapters of Genesis, Genesis 3 in particular, that creation willfully rebelled against God. The culpability, the guilt, the blame for that rebellion in the scriptures is always set squarely on the creation and not on God. The Bible is clear that God knows all things past, present, and future. So we can deduce from that that the Bible is clear to us that God knew that this rebellion would happen and that sin and evil would enter in. But he is in no way, and this is where the mystery is, friends. This is where if you try and over-explain it, you'll turn yourself into a pretzel. John Calvin, the great reformer, said that when you think on these issues, they are a dark labyrinth. Don't dwell on them too long. Here, here's, the Bible's clear that God knew it would happen, but that he is in no way culpable for the moral responsibility of creation when it chose to rebel against him. But the culpability rests on creation and humanity and not on God. He is in no way the author of evil. But listen to this. In a way that we cannot fully understand from our vantage point, he, and I'm choosing my words intentionally and carefully, he not just allows or permits, the scriptures would go so far as to say that he, again, without being culpable or evil in any way, he ordains all things that come to pass. Without culpability, for his glory, and our ultimate eternal, maybe not earthly, but our ultimate and eternal joy. Proverbs 16.4 says that he has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. Isaiah 45, the Lord speaks to the prophet, 
to the nation of Israel and then to the pagan king Cyrus. And he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Listen to me, friends. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Listen to this. Verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being. This is God speaking. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Again, for his glory and our eternal, maybe not earthly, but our ultimate eternal joy. How can I make that statement? Because coupled with that statement about the magnitude of the sovereignty of God in all things, we must also then read as believers in Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 11 that says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, listen to this, who works all things. All things, even what he just said to, uh, to Israel in the Old Testament, the calamity that he at times creates. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And one of the sweetest verses in the Bible, you probably know it by heart, Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, all things, even the calamity, that he's not morally responsible for and is the author in no way of evil, but knows, allows, permits, ordains, choose your verb, to happen ultimately in a way that we cannot know, serves his glory and our good so that we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, this is an unexplainable truth. Romans 11 verse 33 is a verse that we have to read in conjunction when we even think on these things, and it says that the ways of God are inscrutable but why is this important because to a group of people like the Colossians and a group of people like us we have two views that we can take of sin and suffering and evil and calamity and strife and struggle we can either believe that the universe is boiled down into a dualistic view of good and evil where God is in this cosmic battle with evil which he is but evil sort of snuck up on God and is outside of his providence and control. Or we can believe that in some way that is unknowable from our vantage point, God controls all things. And ultimately, for his glory and our eternal, maybe not earthly, but our eternal joy, God is working all things, even sin, that we we willfully brought into the world by our rebellion that he is not culpable for, but that he foreknew because he is God, is working all things together. All things, cancer, recessions, earthquakes, divorces, sin, all things he's working together some way for his glory and our eternal joy. I, I find much more comfort in that then the only other alternative, which is that evil is outside of the providence, the providence of God and somehow snuck up on him. These are difficult things. And we've just only touched the surface. I made fun of my John Piper books a moment ago. But if you want to go deeper on this, I recommend a book that he wrote last year. It is called Spectacular Sins and Their Global Purpose in the Glory of Christ. And it will cause you to worship. 
I have that on the website linked in these notes. If you want to go deeper on this, I encourage you to go deeper with that book. There are others that touch on this issue. That's the best I've read. So, point number four, and we end with this. If that's the case, if Jesus is the Lord, and if Jesus is the Creator, and if ultimately nothing is outside of His control and He works all things together for His glory and our eternal, maybe not earthly, but our eternal joy, then therefore... Brothers and sisters, therefore, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. If God is your Father, if you know Jesus as your Lord, then that means these verses apply to you. That means that you can live a life of reckless pursuit of joy, abandoning the things of this earth, because you know that ultimately your eternal Father works all things together for His glory and your eternal joy, which should release us. It should release us from these 80 years that grab us like tentacles that want to pull us down under this cultural death that is the Babylon of American society. I end with this, Romans 8. We see it, we read it so often here. Why is this important? Why is having such a huge view of Jesus important? Why is realizing the biblical view of God so important? And how will this help you be a better husband and a better worker and a better student and a nicer person and a more humble guy on Thursday and a better worker? Because God will be big and it will stir worship in your soul and it will engender confidence in your spirit so that when the day gets hard you will know you will know what your inheritance is and romans 8 verse 31 says what shall we what shall we say to these things (laughs) if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things And like I like to say every time I read that verse, that does not mean a Cadillac. Stop watching the charlatans on TBN that preach the prosperity gospel, which is really no gospel at all. When he says all things, he's talking about the inheritance of eternal joy, which for some of us may be in an earthquake, cancer, early death, a heart attack, whatever. But there is an eternal God who providentially controls all things for his glory and our joy and will graciously give us all things. The God of the universe. Come on now. The God of the universe. Don't you think he has better stuff in store for us than a 401k? All things are yours, Christian. So live like that. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Meaning God died for you. Absorbing the wrath of the Father. For you, it's exhausted. It's gone. That's the beautiful word, propitiation. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. That's why Romans 8 says, There is now, now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus is the one who died, not some substitute, not a lamb or a goat or a bull on the Day of Atonement that we had to repeat the next year. Jesus died, absorbing the full wrath of the justice of God. Therefore, it's canceled. More than that, who was raised? 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Because he knows that although this is truth, we need reminders of this truth. So Jesus is praying for us on Thursday. When we have that difficult day, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, verse 37. In other words, sometimes you do die early. You're like sheep that are being killed, but these 80 years are not what it's all about. So live, live, live in the face of eternity. No, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers... There's our word again, rulers, nothing, no evil thing, no things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We started off with one application, that our hearts would be stirred with affection and wonder and awe and worship of Jesus. So here's my question. Does your affection for Jesus correspond to his greatness. So often mine doesn't. Let's, let's bow our heads. Father, there's two types of people in this room. Those that know you and need a fresh revelation and view of your grandeur and grace and goodness and eternal sovereign glory and those that do not yet know you. For the first group, Jesus, would you brush aside the dust of life and would you cause us to see and savor Jesus better? Would you cause us, would you cause me to not be a pathetic anxious, scared little pastor who's worried about people, but would you lift my eyes and my chin and let me see where my help comes from, and would you let me see the person and the work of Jesus so that my heart and my mind and my soul would overflow with worship, and then, Lord, would that work its way into my week as I love my wife better in view of the greatness of Jesus, and I serve my children better in view of the greatness of Jesus, and I shepherd these people better in view of the greatness of Jesus because I am transformed as I see Jesus. God, would you do that? Would you, would you be so kind as to do that? Would you lift our pins from our lists and our pragmatism and would you cause us to see Jesus clearly? And would we worship him? And God, for the latter, the person in this room who has not yet been Reborn, who has not made you the Lord of their life. God, would you simply cause them to see that you're the creator, you're the Lord, and that you make yourself knowable, and that you come and you take our sin and the consequences of our rebellion on your own shoulders on the cross, and that you alone are the sacrifice for our sin and our rebellion and our our weak little pleasures that we pursue and that you became 
the substitute and the sacrifice for us and that only those who repent and believe and receive and embrace and treasure what Jesus did on the cross for them, only those receive eternal life. Only those that repent and believe, God, are actual partakers of what we have been dwelling on today. So, God, if there's somebody in this room today who has not done that, would you cause them to be born again by the living and abiding word, as First Peter says. And if that's you, brother or sister, listen, you don't fill out a sheet, you don't raise your hand. Look, in some settings, those things might be helpful. But here's what you do to become a Christian if you right now realize that you're not. And if that's the case, then that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to God and all you do right now is you repent and you believe you place your faith and trust in what Jesus did on a cross and you embrace Jesus' work on the cross which includes his death his burial, his resurrection and his offer of life to you you embrace that, you treasure that, you receive that Christ will forgive you of your sins and make you new and your life won't be perfect in fact you may still be right smack dab in the middle of your struggle But everything that we talked about in regards to eternal joy is yours. So you do that today. You repent and you believe. And if you need to work that out with somebody, if you need to pray, we'll be down here to pray with you. Don't rush off in private. Come on. Talk to somebody that you know is a Christian. Talk to me. Talk to Reynolds. Talk to somebody in here. We'll help you work through some stuff. But you, you repent and you believe and you treasure and you embrace the sovereign God of the universe who's made himself known in the person of Jesus. And so, God, would you do that? Would you be so kind? For the Christian, let us see and savor. For those that are not yet, would they embrace Jesus as the treasure of their lives? Pray this in his great name. Amen.